This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. You know, I'm going to have to break down and get a heater for my studio because this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, The weather has taken a distinctly cool turn today. I mean, I knew there was a cold front passing through last night, but it caught me a little by surprise nonetheless. I stepped out of my house this morning to take my daily two-mile walk, and I, I walked down the driveway, turned right, started heading up the street, and got about one house away before it hit me that it was just way too cold to be wearing shorts and a t-shirt. In fact, it was only 47 degrees, according to the weather app on my phone this morning. That's about 8 degrees Celsius for those of you who don't do Fahrenheit. And uh, that might be warm compared to where you're listening, but, you know, that's really, really cold for the space coast of Florida. I mean, we're on a barrier island, so... You know, it's not unusual for the northern Florida, Panhandle, Florida area to get really cold. In fact, it even snows there occasionally, you know, maybe once every couple of years when we get a really big cold front, a big winter storm moving across the country, it'll snow in northern Florida and it gets below freezing in central Florida. Even in Orlando, it it can get below freezing from time to time, but it just doesn't do that here on the barrier island out on, uh, you know, we're sticking... We're sticking like 16 miles out into the ocean. I mean, there's another island between us and the mainland, but literally the first bridge you get on from Cocoa to cross over to Merritt Island and then to Cocoa Beach, Cape Canaveral area is 16 miles away from the, from the mainland. And there's three miles of lagoon between us and Merritt Island. So we're usually surrounded by warm water and that keeps us nice and tropical, but not today. I mean, it was in the 70s last night, which is about 22 or 23 degrees Celsius. So that's a pretty big change. I mean, again, it's not record setting for here on the Space Coast, but it isn't exactly a normal morning. And so I'm all bundled up in my studio. I've got a hoodie on and then I have a leather jacket over the hoodie and I'm still feeling a little frosty. Anyway, um, I've kind of become a slave to my fitness app on my Apple Watch and since I had already started walking out and I already started walking out, I already started the uh, track your outdoor walk uh, workout app on the uh, Apple Fitness on the Apple Watch. So I stubbornly decided to finish at least one mile before I'd go back and grab a jacket. I may be silly, but I didn't want uh, I didn't want a substandard workout recorded. Uh, maybe it has more to do with my love of data than just being obsessive compulsive, but I got a lot of weird looks from my neighbors because if you know anything about Floridians, we tend to bundle up and start the fireplace anytime the temperature is below 60 degrees, and it was uh, significantly below that. In fact, one neighbor I passed jokingly commented, you're only wearing shorts to make us to make the rest of us look bad, aren't you? And I told him the story, and, and he kind of laughed. On a slightly more serious note, though, it is being reported that Apple Podcasts has begun switching off automatic downloads for users who haven't listened to five episodes of a show in the last two weeks. Uh, That's a big deal because uh, a lot of you that are listening on Apple, I know when when I'm listening on Apple Podcasts, I prefer to use Fountain, but when I do listen on Apple Podcasts, because not everything's available on Fountain, uh, or Fountain's had that clipping issue recently in the last week or so, so... When, when I am listening on, on Apple, I normally go and I look at my, uh, my queue, basically, and that, that's all the stuff that, I, that I'm following that's downloaded the most recent episode for me, so I, I have something to play. And it, it's super convenient when you're traveling, too, because like if you're getting on an airplane, you have all your favorite podcasts ready to listen to. You don't need an internet connection to, to start streaming them. So um, this is according to an article published on Semaphore and to a, and to a post that Apple uh, wrote on one of their blogs. And according to the article, it says Apple has quietly tightened its reporting of how many people listen to podcasts, sending shockwaves through an embattled audio industry, still reeling from the end of the COVID era production bubble. The shift Apple wrote in the blog post was technical. 
the dominant podcasting platform had begun switching off automatic downloads for users who haven't listened to five episodes of a show in the last two weeks. But while few users noticed the shift, some of the biggest podcasts in the world saw their official numbers drop dramatically. Again, we only usually publish one episode a week. I mean, every once in a while, something special happens or we'll do a weekend update or Thanksgiving episode, for example. But normally, we only have one episode a week. So that means during that two-week period, you would have to listen to both of our new episodes and then go back and listen to three old episodes uh, in order for you to not have your automatic downloads of this podcast turned off. And I consume a lot of podcast content, but I very rarely go back and listen to old episodes of other podcasts, certainly not for each podcast I listen to. So please double check that your automatic downloads are have not been turned off if you're listening on an Apple device. And now more than ever, it is important to help the podcast out by feeding that algorithm monster because regardless of what platform you're listening to, uh, if, if, if you could do us a solid by you know rating or reviewing the podcast or liking and rating this episode specifically, um, that, that helps drive traffic. Uh, that helps us show up in, in people's feeds, and that helps us orange pill more people. Hopefully, if you're listening on Apple, uh, you, you haven't had your automatic downloads turned off yet or already, and, uh, and you're, you're, you're seeing this podcast because, you know, for example... When I experimented with different podcast art, we had a big drop off on listeners and I've had people reach out to me and say, I didn't, I, I scrolled right past you because I didn't recognize your podcast art. And so I, I, you know, I didn't know it was your, I didn't know it was, that you'd released your latest episode. So I just kept scrolling. And I can imagine the same thing happens if we're not already in your feed, you know, if they turn off automatic downloads. So if you're listening on, on Apple Podcasts, please double check that you still have uh, your automatic downloads enabled and uh, regardless of where you're listening, if you like or review or rate, however they do it on whatever platform you're listening to, uh, this podcast that will help keep uh, help keep our podcast in the ratings. Uh, and um, obviously, the more people we're exposed to, the more people we help Orange Pill, and it's better for us all the way around. All right, before we delve into the news, let's take a quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, we are sitting at a block height of 826,182, and Bitcoin is ringing in at a U.S. dollar value of $42,650 per Bitcoin, down about $4,000 from last DCA Wednesday, and currently uh, one fiat dollar will get you 2,345 sats per dollar, so about 200 more sats per dollar. Uh, then you then we were able to purchase just last Wednesday, so that's a good thing. I'm seriously stoked about getting more sats because the dwindling number of sats we were getting for each cuck buck we were converting into Bitcoin was, you know, starting to get starting to get a little depressing. You know, the closer we get to that having, the closer and the harder that realization sets in that it's going to be harder to reach that stacking goal. And everybody always has a stacking goal, even if you've already met your stacking goal. That stacking goal is a sliding scale. The minute you reach a stacking goal or even start to get close, you find yourself setting a new stacking goal, a higher stacking goal. And the closer we get to the having, the more that realization sets in that, that it's going to be harder to reach that goal. Uh, you know, it's already really, really hard for the average pleb to ever reach one whole Bitcoin with, you know, not the, the average person out there. I mean, the average American doesn't even have $500 in their savings account. So to be able to squirrel away $42,000 with, you know, with Satoshi's, as getting further and further out of reach. And when that's $100,000 or a half a million or a million, uh, you, you get the point. All right, where was I? The current block height puts us just 13,818 blocks away from that having the minor reward having that, of course, occurs every 210,000 blocks. And the next having occurs at block 840,000. And depending on where you get your data, it's still looking like that's going to happen on April 20th. So... We won't know until it happens because, again, it's going to happen at block 840,000. And whenever 840,000 rolls around depends on how fast blocks are coming in. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but with this cold weather, blocks are coming in a little bit slower, probably because a big portion of the hash rate is off in Texas right now, uh, where it is probably below freezing or really close to freezing. It's definitely going to dip down below freezing tonight, and it was below freezing last night. 
Uh, but I digress. For uh, Bitcoin's current price, gives it a market capitalization of $836 billion, about $80 billion less than last week. Still well below that $1 trillion market cap that I keep saying is going to be a magic number for Bitcoin. You know, I've referenced this line from the movie The Right Stuff multiple times where Chuck Yeager has broken the sound barrier and then Scott Crossfield comes along and, and breaks Mach 2 and the reporters or whoever are talking about, well, you know, Chuck Yeager will just go back up and go Mach 2.1 or 2.2. And the one guy turns to the other and says, yes, but Mach, you know, Mach 2 is the magic number. Basically that people like a, a nice round number. It's just human psychology. And there's something about that third or that, I keep saying 13, that $1 trillion market cap that, uh, you know, that's a nice round number. It's a big number. It's, it all of a sudden puts it in the big leagues in people's minds. And I think even more importantly than the ETF, and the ETF is going to be really important for Bitcoin adoption for the normies and for people that can't purchase and hold Bitcoin in their retirement plans or pension funds or what have you. Uh, to be able to to uh, to get it to get in at least exposure to Bitcoin, even though the whole "not your keys, not your coins" thing, so you can't really say they own Bitcoin, but they own better exposure to Bitcoin than they did by owning shares of Grayscale, uh, you know, Bitcoin Trust or other proxies like mining stocks or even MicroStrategy. And we all love Michael Saylor. I'm not dissing Michael Saylor or MicroStrategy, but it was just exposure to Bitcoin. And uh, anyway, I'm get I'm I'm getting off on all kinds of tangents today, aren't I? For those of you who still value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it will currently cost you 21 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. Again, more than a full pound of Bitcoin, one pound, five ounces of, of gold to be precise to purchase just one Bitcoin. Uh, if you hadn't converted some of your gold stack into Bitcoin yet, and you were thinking it was getting away from you last week, it's just going to continue to get away from you, but you got a little bit of a pre of reprieve with this dip in the Bitcoin price. You can currently purchase Bitcoin for about two and a half ounces of gold fewer than last Wednesday, but you know, you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve, and as I always say, it's going to be, it won't even be the end of this year before we're talking about Bitcoin and uh, we're talking about Bitcoin in terms of pounds of gold, not ounces of gold. So right now you have the chance to purchase one Bitcoin for just 21 ounces, you gold bugs. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will still purchase you 2,385 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's, about 220 pizzas fewer than last Wednesday, but still more than one pizza every day for the next six and a half years, which is still a heck of a lot of pizza. Certainly a lot more pizza than Laszlo got on that first Bitcoin pizza day when he, as you remember, purchased two large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's for 10,000 Bitcoin. And the mempool is looking a little bit less clogged than it was last week. Currently, there are 92 blocks worth of transactions pending in Clark Moody's mempool. That's down from 103 blocks pending in his mempool last DCA Wednesday and 102 blocks the Wednesday before that. So still a lot of pending transactions, a lot of uh, a lot of data clogging up the, the mempool, but a little bit less than, than last week. However, uh, depending on which fee estimator you're looking at, things are, well, they're either the same or have gotten more expensive. Clark Moody's fee estimator last week was saying that if you had a priority traction that you, priority transaction that you wanted to guarantee was included in the next block, that you were going to need to include a fee of 164 sats per V-byte, and that is still the case. They're recommending a fee of 164 sats per V-byte for an immediate transaction. And if you have a day to wait, they're saying that you can get away with just a 42 sat per V-byte transaction fee. That's up from 31 sats per V-byte last week. And they're still estimating that six sats per V-byte will get your transaction mined within a week. That's been pretty consistent uh, for the last several months. However, I have not seen any six sat per V-byte transactions mined in months. So uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't count on it. Uh, if you do want to lowball a six sat per V-byte transaction, make sure that you're using a replace by fee so that you can bump that fee 
uh, if your transaction gets stuck. And actually, right now, mempool.space is showing that uh, six sat per vbyte transaction will be uh, discarded from most mempools anyway. So there's zero chance of it getting mined if the mempools purge it. Mempool.space is telling a slightly different story. Last week, they were saying a 31 sat per vbyte fee would get you mined within the next block or two. Uh, that was their high priority transaction recommendation. This week, they're recommending a fee of 50 sats per vbyte for a high priority transaction. That's still only $2.99, which is pretty darn cheap considering you can move millions of dollars anywhere in the world within 10 minutes and no one can stop you. Uh, and good luck sending a, a, a wire transfer for anywhere near $2.99. Uh, they're also recommending that a medium priority transaction include a fee that isn't a whole lot cheaper at 48 sats per vbyte. And even their low or no priority transactions, they're recommending 44 sats per vbyte. So fees are still up. Uh, they're not as crazy as we've seen them. Not, you know, when we were looking at almost $20 transaction fees for a priority transaction just a few weeks ago. In fact, uh, you only have to go back to just before Christmas when the recommended fee for a priority transaction worked out to about $16.65. Again, in my personal observation, fees tend to drop in, in, in over the weekend and during the nights. Uh, this was a three-day weekend here in the United States. Monday was Martin Luther King Day, and we definitely saw fees get a little bit cheaper uh, over the weekend. Uh, so if you, if you have a little while to wait and you want to lowball a fee, uh, maybe you can send that transaction that, you know, on a night or the weekend or send it now and, and just wait till, for it to get mined when fees are a little bit lower. But again, that's a you-do-you thing, a do-your-own-research thing. And keep in mind that most wallets nowadays will let you uh, enable replace by fee or you can do child pays for parent and bump that fee if it gets stuck. But make sure you know what you're doing because it would be a real bummer if someone's expecting that that Bitcoin, that Bitcoin transaction you make to show up in their wallet right away and it, and it gets hung up in the mempool for weeks or never gets confirmed at all. And speaking of on-chain activity, that metric that you know I like to follow, Bitcoin's 24-hour average transaction rate is up just a little bit from last Wednesday. Last Wednesday, we were averaging 4.86 transactions per second on-chain, and currently we're looking at 4.99 transactions per second Still way down from above six and a half transactions per second that it had been all of December. Um, and as you know, at least during the, the history of this podcast, every time that number has been up, the price has usually been going up. And when the number's lower, the price is usually going down. We're kind of going sideways right now. And the number of transactions per second are going sideways as well. So I think that still holds. Again, that's not any kind of official TA. That's just something I've noticed during the more than two and a half years now that I've been doing this podcast, just simply by observing the statistics and uh, putting two and two together. Also, speaking of on-chain, we're just now 378 blocks away from the next mining difficulty adjustment. As I mentioned, it's really cold in Dallas. Looking at the weather app right now, it's actually 39 degrees Fahrenheit in Dallas. That's about 3.8 Celsius, so not quite below freezing, but it also hasn't, it's also the sun hasn't set in Dallas yet either, so it's going to get bitter cold, and as a result, a lot of those miners that have load balancing agreements with ERCOT are either shut off or going to shut off, and that has resulted in a reduced hash rate. And as a result, it looks like we're going to have a decrease in the mining difficulty in about two and a half days from now, somewhere around January 20th. Depending where you get your data, that's going to be a decrease of anywhere from 2.61% to 4.3%. Pretty consistent with the estimate we talked about last Wednesday. And that is because blocks are currently averaging 10 minutes and 27 seconds. So a little bit faster than last Wednesday when they're averaging 10 minutes and 44 seconds between blocks. But still a lot slower than the 10 minutes that Bitcoin aims for. And uh, so, you know, anytime blocks are coming in slower than 10 minutes, uh, you're looking at a difficulty adjustment in you know, a decrease in the difficulty adjustment anytime they're coming in faster than 10 minutes, which throughout most of Bitcoin's history has been the case. There have been very few rare times, like, for example, winter storms or the China minor ban, where you know, hash rate has decreased. But in general, as technology improves, as more people get into mining, as more companies add 
additional hash rate to their commercial mining farms, hash rate goes up and therefore difficulty goes up. Um, but if you're mining at home, your mining is going to get just a tiny bit more profitable, courtesy, most likely, of those miners in Texas who are shut down to uh, help keep rolling blackouts and brownouts from occurring in Texas because of the cold weather. And their wonderful green energy that doesn't actually work uh, when it's cold and when the wind's not blowing and the sun's not shining. All right. Real quick, I want to thank those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, such as Fountain. Uh, as I've mentioned before, you could earn sats just for listening to your favorite podcasts on Fountain, as well as support your favorite podcast through the value for value model by either streaming sats on a per minute basis or by boosting your favorite podcasts, which is where you send a message, a shout out, if you will, to your favorite podcasts. And because it's a lightning transaction, that shout out comes with some sats. We don't currently have any boosts to read, and I'm blaming that on the fact that a lot of you probably aren't listening on Fountain right now because of that clipping debacle. And speaking of which, if you are listening on Fountain and you are either noticing that they still haven't resolved their clipping issue or they have resolved their clipping issue, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. On Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod. Send me a DM. Uh, because I have no way of knowing if they fixed that or not. I know Fountain said they were going to remove that update, uh, but I don't know if that won't occur until they release an updated version of Fountain, and you have to download the updated version, uh, which I haven't even seen available yet, at least not on iPhone. So uh, potentially that clipping issue is still going on. If you're listening to this podcast, and there are no pauses in my speech, and I sound maybe a little robotic or garbled, uh, that is because a a couple of weeks ago when they downloaded, when they uh, they sent out the latest update of the Fountain app, uh, they included some software that was supposed to clip out pauses and dead air silence to make the podcast go by a little faster. Most likely, really, it was kind of a spam thing to keep people from, I guess, just streaming dead air. Uh, either way, it was horrible. And numerous other podcasts have spoken about how it was affecting their listeners. And apparently, Fountain is is fixing it, but they didn't say when that was going to occur. So uh, if you have some input on that, uh, again, send me a DM on Twitter at BTC Bulletin Pod. And also don't forget to follow us on Twitter because, again, that helps feed that algorithm monster. And if you don't have Twitter, we are on Noster. And, of course, if you just want to send me an email, you can send me an email at bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. And speaking of our listeners, our geographic distribution of listeners has not changed this week. As you remember, there was a little bit of a shakeup a week or two ago when um, when Singapore basically dropped out of the top 10 and uh, Canada bumped up to number four. So without further ado, the top 10 countries where our listeners are listening to by listenership, number one remains the United States. So thank you to those of you listening from right here in the United States. Hopefully you're staying warm because if it's this cold in Florida, it's really cold everywhere else. Number two remains Argentina, so muchos gracias, amigos, and Argentina. Number three remains Germany, Deutschland, so danke schön, mein Freunds in Deutschland. Number four remains Canada. I can't even fathom how cold it is up there right now in Canada. I don't do cold very well, which is why I live in Florida. I moved here from Arizona because Arizona was getting too cold in the winter. And, you know, Phoenix gets really darn hot in the summer, but it also gets pretty cold in the winter. You know, it's not unusual to have ice in the gutters because, you know, the desert doesn't hold heat very well. That dry air, you can have a 40 or 50 degree temperature difference between daytime and nighttime, which, uh, you know, allows it to go from 70 degrees to 20 degrees. Uh, and the last year I lived in Arizona, I think it got down to 17 degrees and it killed my lemon tree. It killed my ficus tree. It killed off. All, it killed off a lot of the citrus and a lot of the plants and in uh, in the, in Arizona, and I thought, okay, I'm moving somewhere warmer. And that's not the real reason I ended up in Florida, but uh, that's my excuse, and I'm sticking with it. Where was I? Number five remains Luxembourg. So again, danke schön, mein Freund, zum Luxembourg, or Morien, to those of you who speak Luxembourgish. Number six remains Spain, so muchas gracias, amigos, in Spain. Number seven remains Colombia, again, muchas gracias, amigos, in Colombia. Number eight remains Sweden, so thank you to those of you in Sweden. Number nine remains the United Kingdom. And number 10 remains Venezuela. So muchas gracias, amigos, in Venezuela. And thank you to all of you, regardless of where you're listening. I sincerely appreciate it. 
I, you, you are the reason I'm doing this. I don't just like sitting in front of a laptop and a microphone, listening to my voice and headphones. I do this because hopefully I help you keep those strong hands, encourage you when, you know, when times of doubt are rolling in and, you know, it's not just the, the bear market when, when you need to, when you need a little bit of encouragement sometimes. Sometimes the hardest time to hodl is during the bull run. And I know this because I've been through several cycles. And let me tell you, I knew the last cycle that we were going to go to whatever we did. I thought we were going to go a little higher than 69,000, but I knew we were going to go a lot higher than, than, than 20. And, uh, and I knew it was going to crash back down. And looking at your stack in fiat terms and seeing it go up to whatever, uh, depending on how much you have, whatever the price is, and then turning around and watching that drop by 80%, knowing it's going to do that, the temptation to try and time the market and, you know, the temptation is to try and time the market and sell off some of your stack and then buy in when it dips. Uh, and of course, the problem is nobody knows what Bitcoin's going to do when Bitcoin's going to do it. Bitcoin tends to make its biggest moves in just a couple of days maybe 10 days of the year. And if you, if you screw up and miss those days, you know, for example, you sell, you sell early thinking that maybe a hundred thousand is going to be the new top or 150 is going to be the new top and it goes to 500. And then that big retracement only goes back down to two, 200. All of a sudden you you've got less Bitcoin when you buy in or you, you sell perfectly at the top because yay, you're a genius and you timed it. And then you wait for that dip and you're one of those guys who's still waiting for 3K and it never gets there. And then Bitcoin starts rebounding. And when it rebounds, sometimes it bounces, you know, hard. And all of a sudden you're buying in higher than you thought you were. So that's why we DCA here instead of trying to time the market. Because I think we've proven the old adage that time in the markets beats timing the markets every time it's tried. And, uh, you know, everyone I know who's tried to trade has just gotten absolutely wrecked. Even professional traders get absolutely wrecked from time to time in the markets. And that is certainly true in Bitcoin because Bitcoin has a way of humbling everybody. They don't just say stay humble and stack sats because it sounds catchy. They say it because you need to stay humble or Bitcoin will in fact humble you. All right, on to the news. Uh, as I mentioned, 11 spot Bitcoin ETFs were approved since the last DCA Wednesday episode. We were on the eve of uh, the eve of the ETF approval last DCA Wednesday. Uh, and there certainly was a lot of excitement and celebration amongst those, for example, Franklin Templeton, who's a, who is a firm that is actually offering a spot Bitcoin ETF, changed their profile pick and they tweeted out new profile pick and they have the Ben Franklin logo with, with the laser eyes. Ultimately though, we did not get the big green God candle that some were expecting, but Bitcoin, you know, it didn't hit, well, obviously Bitcoin didn't hit a hundred thousand or even the 1 million in days as some as expected. Was it Samson Mao that said, you know, Bitcoin was going to hit 1 million in, in days to weeks, uh, nor was it a really a sell the news event either. What we saw was Bitcoin uh, kind of went sideways for a bit. And then, uh, then it, then actually it, it, it started dropping, uh, not not right away, you know. It dropped. It it dropped. Um, after it dropped after the news of the Bitcoin ETF performance came in, and people were a little disappointed uh, by that. But it also kind of dropped on the coattails of the markets dropping and some of those exposure stocks dropping. For example, we saw a tremendous amount of volume in the ETFs, but about half of that was money leaving Grayscale Bitcoin Trust because you remember people were suing Gray uh, Grayscale because, you know, they wanted to get their Bitcoin out. Barry Silbert, you know, uh, had famously, as Matt O'Dell liked to say, uh, owed $900 billion to Gemini users. There was a lot of hate and discontent. And so it seemed logical. And also their fees are the highest. They were charging like a 2.5% fee, and these ETFs are charging about a quarter percent. And most of them have waived their fee for the first six months, etc. So it was natural that we saw a lot of money flow out of GBTC. And some of that might have gone into the ETFs. We don't know for sure. Certainly some of it did, though. Uh, but we also saw stocks like MicroStrategy and mining stocks like Marathon and Riot also starting to tank. Marathon Digital, for example, is down almost 40% from their recent highs just prior to the ETF approval. Despite the fact that a lot of the volume was flowing out of GBTC, though, Wall Street Journal reports that Bitcoin ETFs still drew $655 million in net inflows on their first day, saying the new spot Bitcoin exchange traded funds drew $655 million of net inflows on their first day of trading, underscoring strong investor demand, according to Bloomberg data. 
Measured by inflows, the top performing fund was Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, attracting $238 million. So uh, the Bitcoin ETFs were not a flop uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Reminder, most level heads were telling us before the approval that it was going to be, you know, it was going to take some time before the ETFs really started to have any effect on the Bitcoin market. For example, it's going to take months, maybe even as long as a year before funds are prepared to add these ETFs to their offerings. Uh, you know, things like pension funds, they're not going to start buying Bitcoin just magically because the ETFs are approved. It's going to take some time for them to get used to the concept. Uh, 401ks and, it, you know, people that are that basically are at work, that they're set it and forget it, that are just putting a certain amount of money in to uh, into their, their company's 401k plan to every paycheck. And then that's distributed amongst whatever. Sometimes, you know, if you have a 401k at work, you're allowed to basically choose like an aggressive or conservative portfolio, but you don't really get to choose what stocks in general, at least not on the minute, minutia level of where your, your 401k funds are going to. Anyway, those funds aren't going to start buying Bitcoin just magically on day one. Uh, and a lot of them, they, they literally can't. They've got months worth of legal work to do before they can do that. This is always going to be more like that snowball that starts rolling down the hill that eventually becomes an avalanche. However, one thing that um, Len and Joey, the Canadian Bitcoiners, put succinctly on their, their podcast, the Canadian Bitcoiner podcast the other day, was that they said the biggest effect the ETF approval will have will be the change in the, quote, top of the funnel. Now, for the first time that someone hears, now the first time that someone hears about Bitcoin, it's going to be from their financial advisor instead of from some crazy libertarian screaming at the, de- you know, screaming over the table at them at Thanksgiving dinner. I think Leonard Joy put it, you know, some crazy person with a uh, Lion Liz poster in the background. The point being, uh, I'm sure you're, you're a fine uh, source of orange pilling your family, but we've all had attempts at orange pilling friends and family members and some have gone more successfully than others but when you go to your financial advisor when the boomers the average normie goes to their financial advisor and their financial advisor is making the recommendation of what to do with their money and they recommend bitcoin they're gonna say oh really that's interesting and take it a lot more seriously than then they take their crazy cousin or their their nephew that's always talking about computers and such one of the other apparent effects the spot Bitcoin ETFs had was the relegation to irrelevance of the Bitcoin futures ETFs. If you remember, part of the drama surrounding the spot Bitcoin ETFs was the lawsuit where Grayscale, to their credit, sued the SEC because the SEC had approved spot, coin, spot Bitcoin or had approved Bitcoin futures ETFs while denying the spot Bitcoin ETFs. And so the only ETFs we had in U.S. markets were based on Bitcoin futures, not actually on holding Bitcoin. And now that you can actually purchase spot Bitcoin ETFs, uh, it appears that some of those outflows are coming from the futures ETFs. And Van Eck, for example, Van Eck has a spot Bitcoin ETF now. They also had a Bitcoin futures ETF, and they just announced that they will be closing their Bitcoin futures ETF, winding it down and, uh, and liquidating it. All right. In the fiat world, and I rarely, almost never, ever watch CNN or read any of their content online. However, this headline from a story they posted on Sunday actually caught my attention. And I didn't, I wasn't perusing CNN.com. It was posted somewhere else. But basically, they posted an article that said the wealth of the world's five richest men more than doubled since 2020. At the same time, nearly five billion people globally have become poorer. And the five richest men that they cite are Elon Musk. We all know who Elon is. Bernard Arnault. He's the chairman of the French luxury good giant LVMH that basically just owns luxury brands. Of course, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, Oracle founder Larry Ellison, and of Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett. Their their wealth rose, I think, an average of 114% since 2020, while on general the average person's wealth has declined and even more so when you when you talk about how much of your wealth the inflation has stolen from you but speaking of the fiat elite everyone's favorite hypocrite banker Jamie Dimon uh, was speaking to CNBC I believe from Davos Switzerland and 
Um, they asked him about Bitcoin in in the uh, in the wake of the ETF approval, and basically he went on to uh, spew his 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 rhetoric that Bitcoin is a pet rock, that it's only used for tax evasion, money laundering, and by sex traffickers, which is absolutely hysterical when you consider how much money Chase J.P. Morgan Chase has been fined for laundering money, and absolutely hysterical that he brings up sex traffickers when it was his bank that was facilitating Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking. Uh, so he dropped the S word, saying that uh, he wasn't and he, that he wasn't going to talk about this shit again, ever again, which is, I think, actually kind of telling because he's getting a little frustrated and it's not because people keep asking him stupid questions. It's because, you know, well, he's officially a hypocrite now because Chase is actually a facilitator, a market maker in some of these spot Bitcoin ETFs now. So he can't talk crap about Bitcoin anymore because he would be, uh, he would be doing, he wouldn't be doing his fiduciary duty to his uh, to his company, to his shareholders, when they're invested in Bitcoin and facilitating these Bitcoin ETFs, for him to go out and trash it uh, would be a would be a conflict of interest to say the least. But nonetheless, his that quote's been making the rounds. And speaking of which, the the uh, the world's global wannabe elite, fiat elite, are meeting in Davos, Switzerland, and the uh, the hilarity. You know, it, it just continues because you would think that if someone really, really wanted to oppress you and really, really wanted to screw you over, they would try and keep it secret. But they are openly bragging about what they want to do to you in in the name of your best interest, in the name of the new world order. Uh, and they're not even trying to hide it anymore. So Marty Bent of TFTC, or Rabbit Hole Recap, has a thread on Twitter where he's keeping tabs of the insanity. And so he has basically a, a thread and uh, well, he says, going to keep a thread of the insane totalitarianism coming out of Davos this week. We'll start with John Kerry stating that elected leaders won't be able to stop insane climate hysteria policies if they wanted to. So, so far, the common themes are forcing climate change policies on the world, censoring free speech, becoming the official arbiters of truth, and of course, implementing social credit scores and using digital currency to uh, control your carbon footprint on an individual basis, regulating where you can travel to and even what you can eat. Fortunately, one thing they all have in common is a fatal misunderstanding or at least underestimation of the power that Bitcoin gives the common person to resist. As they say, Bitcoin fixes this. Bitcoin will ultimately make their plans irrelevant. Bitcoin is the escape hatch, which is famously what... Um, Christine Lagarde said that they wanted to close the escape hatch because they couldn't implement these monetary policies and force you into obeying if you had a way out. And of course, Bitcoin is that way out. Another really amusing thing that happened in the fiat world this week was when Samantha LaDuke called Bitcoin rogue money. Of course, the plebs were all over it. Lena Cichet of the little hodler. Uh, came out with a cartoon with the Rogue Money Bitcoin character, and someone even created a Star Wars Rogue One-themed uh, poster of Rogue Money uh, instead. And that's always amusing because, you know, one of the fun things about Bitcoin Twitter is watching the Cyber Hornets pounce on what is meant to be an insult and turning it into a rally cry, much like they did when, you know, when we much like much like they did when when uh, Greenpeace paid to have the uh, skull of Satoshi sculpture commission that was supposed to make bitcoin look evil or uh when we were called psychopaths or when we were called you know shadowy super coders and uh and so that's that's just amusing in the ta transaction analysis news coindesk is reporting that bitcoin sees first ever weekly golden cross a bullish signal to some saying that the 50-week simple moving average of Bitcoin's price has crossed above the 200-week simple moving average for the first time on record. So for those of you who are trading or those of you who care about such things, apparently uh, we've formed the first ever weekly Golden Cross, and that's a bullish signal. But you know what's a bigger bullish signal? We're less than three months away from the halving, or approximately three months away from the halving, and every halving... Bitcoin has responded with a face-melting bull run six months to a year later. So uh, you can blame it on the Golden Cross. I say yes, we have a bullish 
signal, a bullish sign. That bullish signal, that bullish sign is TikTok next block. We're always up and to the right, but you know the, what really catapults us, what really slingshots us on those huge moves up and to the right has always traditionally been that having uh, even more important than the ETF. You know, the ETF was going to bring more people into Bitcoin, but the effect of the halving was to reduce that supply of Bitcoin, and it does so by a factor of cutting it in half. The ETFs aren't going to double the number of people wanting to purchase Bitcoin, so they'll have a much lesser effect than reducing, you know, increasing the supply by even 20 or 30% is nothing compared to reducing the supply by 50%. Speaking of Bitcoin price and price predictions, Plan B tweeted just a few hours ago about his price prediction for the halving. He said, many people read my January 2023 prediction as halving will be 32,000. But I said greater than 32,000, not 32,000. It means higher than 32,000. Could be 40K, 50K, 60K, etc. Seems obvious now, but remember that Bitcoin was 18,000 when I made this prediction. By the way, at the time, 50% thought 15K wasn't the bottom. So he's referencing a tweet from January 12th, 2023. And people apparently are piling on saying, ha ha, you thought it was going to be 32 at the halving and we're significantly higher than that now. So you were wrong once again. Um, you know, none of us have a crystal ball and plan B has been right about a few things and wrong about a few other things. That's because nobody can predict the future. Uh, but it is interesting to see that his, uh, that his predictions continue to be misconstrued, overestimated and underestimated all at the same time. All right. That is is enough of the news let's get to why we're here the meat and potatoes of why we're here and that is because it is dca wednesday and for those of you just following or new to the podcast or haven't been paying attention dca is short for dollar cost averaging and dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals regardless of price for example this is going to be our 130th stack we started stacking every Wednesday on July 28, 2021. So for DCA purposes, our equal portions was we chose to stack $20 and our regular intervals we chose to do weekly every Wednesday. Again, those are you do you things. I chose $20 because I wanted to choose an amount that pretty much anyone listening to this podcast should be able to come up with. And I chose weekly because that's a pretty consistent pretty normal time frame for a lot of DCA, regardless of what you're DCAing it to. Most people that DCA tend to DCA on their payday. So if you get paid weekly, weekly DCA might be the thing for you. If you're paid bi-weekly, then by all means, bi-weekly is fine as well. Again, do your own research, decide what fits your needs best. But we chose weekly and we chose $20 because we wanted to keep it simple. And so far, we've stacked 120 times. That 120 times has converted 2580 US dollars into a stack of 8,720,878 sat 76 sats and we've done so at an average purchase price of $29,584.18 as you remember when we began this journey we were between the two double tops of the 2020 portion of the bull run so Bitcoin hit like $66,000 in like April of 2021, and then it hit $69,000 like November of 2021. So we started stacking when Bitcoin was in the 30s, and then we stacked all the way up to 69, and then we stacked all the way down, all the way through the winter, all the way through the crab market, and we're going to stack all the way back up. But doing so, instead of, you know, uh, YOLOing in at $35,000, we have actually managed to have a better average cost basis of $29,584.18. And we're going to grow that stack today as usual with the Cash App. Cash App is not a sponsor of the show. I've certainly had my beef, my feuds with Cash App, as you are familiar. Uh, but I think it's probably the easiest way for at least plebs in the United States to stack sats. Cash App may or may not be available where you're listening. Uh, this is, again, a you-do-you thing. Pick a, uh, an app or an exchange that, that meets your needs. But we're going to use Cash App. If you are not using Cash App, it's a, if it's available where you are and you would like to use Cash App, please consider signing up using the referral code in the show notes. That referral code will get you $5 free for signing up. And the podcast will receive $5 as, free, uh, $5 as well. 
So you'll actually get paid to help support the podcast, and and you'll get some uh, you'll get some fiat that you can turn into into uh, into Bitcoin for doing so. All right, I digress. I've already got the Cash App open, and I already have twenty dollars on the Cash App because because I do. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. So it's as easy as tapping on Bitcoin, tapping on Buy, entering twenty dollars, tapping Confirm. And boom, just like that, we purchased another 45,951 sats. That is 4,000 sats more than we got for the same amount, of, same amount of fiat just last week. And that brings our stack up to 8,766,827 sats. Getting closer to that 10 million sat goal that I kind of unofficially set for this podcast. The nice thing about the price being down is I was really starting to worry that we were never going to get to 10 million sats because, you know, if Bitcoin did the Samson Mao thing and shot to a million dollars within days to weeks, uh, there's no way that $20 a week was going to get us to 10 million sats anytime soon. Um, So this purchase has also increased our average cost basis by about $73. Our average purchase price is now $29,657.25. Still not too shabby, still significantly cheaper than the current price of Bitcoin. Definitely cheaper than Bitcoin will be when Bitcoin breaks that $100,000 barrier or when Bitcoin hits a million dollars. Kind of the, whether it's, whether average purchase price is 29000 or whatever, kind of becomes moot. However, if Bitcoin does hit that $1 million price one day, this stack of sats will be worth $87,000, more than $87,000 to be worth $87,668.28. And that would be a heck of a return for what have we stacked now? $2,600 worth of fiat. All right. That is all I wanted to talk about today. Before I go, I want to ask you to do us a solid, to do us a favor one more time and to uh, like, subscribe, review, whatever that, whatever, whatever it is on the podcast app that you listen to. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure your automatic downloads are still enabled. And in addition to that, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at, at BTC Bulletin Pod because those all feed the algorithm of the monster. The more people that are listening to our podcast, the more people we can help Orange Pill. The more people that follow us on Twitter, the more people will see me posting about the podcast and we'll hopefully start listening to the podcast. Maybe we can help them on their orange pill journey as well. Either way, don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday while we keep growing that stack, while we keep marching towards that 10 million sat goal. But until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.